Welcome to Northgate Bible Chapel Online. Thanks for checking out our podcast, where you can listen to our latest sermons, filled with teaching, encouragement, and hope from God's Word. So whether you're outdoors, in the car, or just poured some coffee, let's dive into today's message. But under grace. Let's uh, look to the Lord again in prayer. Almighty God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, your son. Uh, we thank you for uh, uniting us unto him in his death and in, in his resurrection. And that is the enablement for us as Christians today to stand. And Father, we thank you for the provisions that you make. You have provided for us all things pertinent to life and godliness in and through your son, our Lord Jesus. Help us, Lord, as we look into your words, words that uh, your words would strengthen us, help us uh, to see where uh, we need correction, where we need uh, help, that you would enable for us to open our eyes, search me, O God, as, as the psalmist would say, search me, O God, try me, see if there is any wicked way in me, and lead me into the way everlasting. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love. Uh, help me, Lord, as I speak from your word. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. So in chapter 5 of Romans, uh, we, you know, through chapter 5 of Romans, chapter 1 to chapter 5, we see the process of justification, of being saved by grace through faith, uh, not of our own works, but it's a gift of God. Uh, and then we see the blessings of uh, justification, uh, you know, we see that in, in Romans chapter 5, uh, we see that we have peace with God, we have access into this hope, uh, we have the hope of his coming, uh, we have the spirit of God that enables us, uh, we have deliverance from wrath, uh, from the wrath of God against condemnation, for there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We have the abounding grace from God to sustain us and to uh, enable for us to move on in this world. We have eternal life in and through our Savior. These are all things that come with justification. Paul now uh, moves on from the foundations of justification to the foundations of sanctification. What does it mean for us as Christians to live a victorious Christian life? Justification is an act of God, but sanctification is a work, and again, is a work of God, not of us. Justification removes the ugliness of our sins uh, once and for all. Sanctification transforms us into the image of Christ Jesus day by day. In Genesis chapter 5 and verse 1, we read that God created man in his own likeness. In his own likeness, he created man. But in Genesis chapter 5, that very same passage and Two verses down in verse 3, we read, Adam beget a son in his own likeness. Not in the likeness of God, but rather in the likeness of Adam himself. And between verse 1 and verse 3, we know that sin entered into the world. And for that, Christ Jesus died. He paid the penalty for my sin on the cross of Calvary uh, to redeem me from the bondage of sin. And now, we as Christians, those who put their trust and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, 
We read in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 17, but we all with unveiled faces, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into that same image by the Spirit of God. Day by day, moment by moment, He transforms us into the image of Christ Jesus. And we read in 1 John, when we see Him, we'll be like Him. But until that day, uh, He is doing a work in your life, He's doing a work in my life. Justification took place at the moment we trusted in Christ. You are declared righteous. Guilt is removed. Then God began the work of sanctification in you, and he will carry that through until the very end, until your last breath. In Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6, we read, being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you, it's not I who began, you know, yes, I put my trust in him, but he does the work in us. He who began a good work in you, will complete it until the day of Christ. Do we trust him in that? That he will do the transformation if we yield ourselves into the hands of the mighty potter. It's not until chapter 12 that we see the practical aspects of the sanctification unfolding. But now Paul lays the groundwork for what it means to be sanctified. What is sanctification? Last week, we looked at uh, Romans chapter 5, and in Romans chapter 5, towards the end of that passage, in verse 20, we read, where sin abounded, grace abounded even more. Many a times uh, in our walk with the Lord, and I've heard this from many Christians, uh, especially those who have been backsliding for a while, uh, they use this as a license for sinning. Uh, as a license to continue in sinning. Oh, God's grace is sufficient for me. God will come through all the time, so I will continue in my lifestyle of sinning so that I would see God's grace. And His grace will continue to abound much more than my sin. And so, why not continue in my sin? And there are people who use that logic today. And Paul is addressing this in this passage here. He starts off with this rhetorical question. What then shall we say? Shall we continue in sin that sin may abound? And uh, observe the word continue in sin. It's uh, the aspect of continuing to abide in a lifestyle of sin. Is that what God expects of us? In 1 Thessalonians, in chapter 4, I believe it is, we read, this is the will of God, your sanctification. Uh, he does not desire for us to live a sinful life. So Paul answers his own rhetorical question uh, in verse 2 by saying, Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? And again, uh, I like the NLT translation. The NLT translation translates that verse, verse 2 like this. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it. So again, uh, the continue in sin in verse 1 and the continue to live in sin. Certainly not is the answer that Paul gives. Every fall, uh, or I would say late summer, uh, so uh, we have two flower pots in the front of our porch. 
and uh, every summer, uh, you know, we have flowers packed in our flower pot, uh, flower pot, and just about when the acorns start falling or are ready to fall, uh, we have squirrels that come. So. Uh, squirrels will come and uh, they will make a way in one of the pots, uh, not both of the pots, one of the pots, uh, clear up some of the flowers and they would uh, dig deep in to hide their acorn. And uh, there are various things that I have done over the years. Uh, I've tried to trick it, I've tried to uh, move this pot in such a way that uh, maybe it won't know where it is. Uh, I've tried to take, find the acorn, take it out, throw it away. Uh, uh, the next day I wake up in the morning and go to my porch and lo and behold, my porch is soiled again. Uh, there's no, uh, there's no uh, success with the squirrel. Like he knows his way, he knows where he wants to go and he will mess up my porch as a result. He outsmarts me all the time. So it is with our sin, isn't it? Uh, when we look at it like a we being the squirrel, so to speak, and the acorn, uh, if you can uh, think about it as uh, sin, right? Uh, uh, we try to get rid of those sins, uh, uh, some, you know, uh, by various means and mechanisms, uh, but yet we continue at times to be like that squirrel, uh, going deep down into that pot and resting there with that acorn and messing the porch of our lives because of sin. Paul's vehement answer is no, absolutely not. And that is not what God desires of us. So in verse 2, uh, there is this, you know, and, and we are going to use that as a springboard for the rest of the message today. In verse 2, we read, how shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? And, and the focus there, and uh, point number one, we died to sin. We died to sin. What does it mean for me to have died to sin? In what sense did we die to sin? Uh, and again, uh, looking at it from a uh, Paul telling this to the, uh, the saints in Rome, uh, he's saying we died. He's talking to the believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 3 we read, we who were baptized into Christ, uh, were baptized into his death. Again, the word that is used in verse 3 for baptized into Christ. Again, the work of the Holy Spirit and immersing us into Christ, being in Christ, in Christ alone my hope is found, as we just sang. Uh, baptized into Christ means being identified with Christ, being identified with his death, being identified with his resurrection. In verse 5, in verse 5 we read, we have been united together in the likeness of his death. The Greek word that is used for united there, and it's only used once in the New Testament, uh, is the word that is used for being planted together. Being planted together. It's uh, like a seed that is sown together, sown, uh, sprouting together, growing together, uh, ripening together. Uh, and that is the picture of our union with the Lord Jesus Christ. 
united together in the likeness of his death. God establishes a union between the believer and the Lord Jesus Christ such that when our Lord Jesus Christ died, the believer who trusted in him also died. In my identification with Christ, in my union with Christ, when he died, you died. His death was my death. In verse 2, the how can we who died to sin, we who died when our Lord Jesus Christ took the penalty of our sin on Calvary's tree, when I, A.B., died, how can we continue in sin? because we died. Again, the same thought flow goes on in verse 6. In verse 6, we read, knowing this, that the old man was crucified with him. The old man is the old self, the natural man, the natural man who does not have desires for the things of the Lord, who is against the things of the Lord, uh, who feeds on his own desires, who feeds on his own lusts, uh, the lust of the eye, the uh, pride of life, the lust of the flesh, all are what he is after and not after the things of God. And this is that old man. And what do we read here? The old man was crucified, was nailed to the cross. This is the language of the cross. When by faith I trusted in Christ, this old man, this natural man, was reckoned as nailed and crucified on Golgotha's tree in AD, AD 30. And he died for us. And in his death, I died. In his death, each of you who trusted in Christ died. We read in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I have been crucified with Christ when Christ was crucified on the cross. His death was my death. And this is confirmed again in verse 8. Continually recurring theme here now, if we died with Christ. So Christ, died with Christ, crucified with Christ, united together in his death, baptized into Christ Jesus and identified with him in his death. All these things are the same as we died to sin. He took our sins on his body, the tree, that we uh, would be set free from the burdens thereof. In Colossians chapter 3 and verse 3 we read, for you died. Again, this is, uh, this is the recurring theme in a lot of uh, Paul's episodes. For you died, and because you died, your life is now hidden with Christ in God. What a precious thought that is. So not just the fact that our union uh, with him provides justification for us, making uh, him making us right before God by clothing us with his righteousness, justification. Not just justification, but he also provides sanctification for us. Our union with him is the foundation of us being sanctified and living a sanctified life. The union with Christ is so tremendously important. Uh, you, you are one with Christ, and this is the only means and enablement for us to walk this life 
um, you know, trusting in him, knowing that he will sanctify and do a work in our lives. If we die to sin by my union with Christ, when I trusted in him, how can we continue in sin? The second point that I would like to bring forth from this passage is, I am free from the power and guilt and the penalty of sin. So how can I continue in sin? So I died uh, in my union with Christ. Uh, my death was taken away. Uh, the penalty of my sin was taken away. Uh, so now, how can I continue in it? Verse 2 we read, again, who died to sin. Verse 10, for the death that he died, he died to sin. So previously in uh, Ephesians, you know, in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1 we read, we were dead in sin. Uh, you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and in sins. But now we read by the grace of God through faith in Christ Jesus on the, through his work on the cross of Calvary, we are dead to sin, not dead in sin, but rather now we are dead to sin. The fact, this is a fact and not an experience. Our feelings have nothing to do with this. In verse uh, 6, we read that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin or no longer serve sin. In verse 7, we read that he who died has been freed from sin. And again, I like the NLT translation there. When we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. So to be dead to something means we have, you know, to be dead to something is uh, that something has no influence over us anymore. It has no mastery over us. A, a man who is dead and in the coffin uh, is uninfluenced and unaffected by the hustle and bustle around the coffin. When it is said, therefore, that Christian is dead to sin, the sense is that the sin has lost its influence, its mastery, its power over uh, the one who trusted in Christ Jesus, the subject. They do not live to sin, nor does sin have dominion or primary rule over him or her. In verse 6, uh, the body of sin might be done away with. Uh, the done away with uh, is, is the Greek word for to put out of business or to be rendered inactive or to be annulled or to be destroyed. That we should no longer be slaves of sin. Uh, it's done away. Uh, it's it's uh, rendered inactive, so to speak. And he desires for us to no longer be slaves of it. Uh, or the word that is used for slave there is the word serve, that you should not serve sin. Because sin has been put out of commission by the Lord's death, that we should no longer serve it. We read in verse 12, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies. And again, underline that word reign. The word for reign that is used there. Uh, yeah, it means to be kingly, exercising kingly power. Uh, sin does not have the kingly power and exercise over us anymore because of our union with Christ Jesus in his death. 
So to summarize uh, this section here, so he who died uh, in our union, uh, you know, in our union with Christ and his death is freed from sin, or he who died to sin is now delivered from the power of sin and from the guilt of sin, the heavy shame of sin, the guilt of sin, the power of sin that has an influencing effect on the believer in the Lord Jesus Christ is removed in our union with him. He who died is freed from sin. By our union with Christ, death is no longer our foe. So that's the other thought here. Verse 9. The latter part of verse 9, we read, death no longer has dominion over us. Uh, death no longer has dominion. In uh, Romans 6 and the last verse, uh, we, we read, uh, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The wages of sin is death. He took our death on the cross of Calvary. He died for us in our stead. In Colossians chapter 2 and verse 14, we read, having wiped out the handwriting of the requirement that was against us, that was contrary to us, having nailed it to the cross, he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over it. We are freed from the penalty of sin, that is death. So die to sin means we are freed from the power of sin, we are freed from the guilt of sin, we are freed from the penalty of sin, from death itself. Moving on. So now what happens to sin? So we are freed in our union with Christ, we died. Um, in our union with Christ, uh, our sins have been taken away. Uh, in our union with Christ, uh, the power of sin no longer uh, has a mighty hold on us. And now the third point here is sin is buried. Sin is buried. We read in verse 4, Therefore we were buried with him through the baptism into death. What happened to our sin? Our sin was removed. Uh, you know, he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might be the righteousness of God in him. 2 Corinthians 5.19 So being identified or baptized with Christ uh, in his burial means that our sins were buried with him in his death and burial. Uh, he has removed our sins never to bring it back up again. In Psalm 103 and verse 12 we read, uh, as far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. In his burial, he has carried our sins far away. In Jeremiah 31 and verse 34, we read, For I will forgive their iniquities and their sins I will remember no more. If God has forgotten our sins, should we not forget them? is the question that we all should, that, that, that should resonate in all our hearts. God has forgiven and he has forgotten our sins. But many a times we wallow in the guilt of our past sins. Many a times we bring up confessed and forgotten sins by God back into our own memories and relive the guilt thereof. 
We read in 1 John chapter 1 and 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful. It's not us being faithful, but He is faithful to forgive us uh, or to cleanse us of all our unrighteousness. So once we have confessed our sins to Him, to confess them again is only to bring sorrow to the heart of the Lord because we have not understood and trust, trusted in His provisions for us in dealing with our sin. He is a God who keeps his word. He never changes. And he says, as far as the east is from the west, he has removed our transgressions from us. So being identified with him in his death means our sins and our guilt has been dealt with. They are forgiven. They are cleansed. They are covered. Uh, cast into the depths of the sea, as we read in Micah chapter 7. Removed as far as the east is from the west. Blotted out like a thick cloud, as we read in Isaiah chapter 44. And cast behind God's back, we read in Isaiah chapter 38 and verse 17. And to be remembered no more. May the Lord enable us. We died with him. He has taken our sins and buried it. Thrown it into the depths of the sea where there's no longer a remembrance of it. The fourth point here, dead to sin does not mean sinless perfectionism. So there are many people who say, okay, so now I'm dead to sin. Sin absolutely has no impact on me and no influence on me. And I am to live a perfect life, sinless, perfect life, right? That is, you know, we, we, there are people today that say that as well. Die to sin does not mean that sin does not exist. Sin and the flesh exist until our mortals shall become immortality. In verse 11, we read, likewise, reckon yourselves dead unto sin. That means that sin is there. In verse 12, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies that you should obey it in its lust thereof. In order for us to not obey it in its lust thereof, that means there is sin that is existent in our flesh. In verse 13, we read, do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness, but present your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Again, it implies that there is that ability in us to present our members as instruments of unrighteousness. If anyone says that there is no sin, uh, uh, he deceives himself and the truth of God does not abide in him. We read in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 8. Sin's enticements remain strong. Paul makes it very clear that our sins remain um, uh, for the Christian as an attraction to be battled with daily. In uh, Galatians chapter 5 and verse 17, we read uh, Paul saying, For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit... Uh, against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another. It is a constant warfare for the believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, the flesh and the spirit. But in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16, we read, Walk in the spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. So there is the ability that God has provided for us as believers in the spirit of God that enables for us to walk um, with him and uh, to not yield to the things of the flesh. So point five, being alive unto God, now we walk in newness of life. Verse four, going back to verse four again, in the latter part of verse four we read, 
that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. Verse 5, the latter part of verse 5. Certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Verse 13, the latter part of verse 13. But present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead. Being alive unto God, walking in newness of life. So being identified to him in his resurrection uh, means that we have present victory over sin. Amen? God desires for his redeemed children to live resurrection lives. And he has made full provisions for that. We have been identified with the Lord in his death in order that we may be identified with him in his resurrection. We are dead to sin so that we may be presented alive unto God. Too often we end up being like Martha in John chapter 11, don't we? In John chapter 11, there is the scene where Lazarus is dead. He has been in the grave for four days and Jesus arrived, but he arrived a little late according to Martha. Martha would tell, his, uh, tell the Lord Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would ha not have died. Like as though Jesus could not raise him from the dead or heal him and bring him back alive. Martha believed now in the resurrection. He believed, she believed in the resurrection. In, uh, in uh, John chapter 11, when we read that passage, we read um, Jesus Christ telling Martha, your brother will rise again. So automatically, Martha's response was, yes, Lord, I know. I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. That was Martha's response. She trusted God. She trusted that her brother who was in the grave for four days will rise again one day. But Martha's attitude, uh, you know, is very typical of us, isn't it, today as saints. Martha knew her theology well, uh, that God would raise Lazarus in the last day. However, Martha did not fully comprehend that this Lord of heaven that was in her midst today, this one who told her that I am the resurrection and the life, that he who believes in me, though he were dead, yet he shall live, was able to make her brother alive right then and there, instead of waiting till the last day. The Lord raised Lazarus from the dead immediately. And so also, he gives us immediate victory and present deliverance for those who are identified with him in his resurrection. Through his resurrection, we have eternal life and enablement to walk in newness of life. Newness of life is a fresh beginning and a fresh perspective. Uh, again, I love the uh, story of Lazarus, right? So Lazarus, uh, now you can imagine uh, Lazarus, God calls Lazarus, Jesus calls him to come out. He comes out. Uh, he is wound in grave clothes. He tells the people that were around, uh, unbound him. Uh, and as he is unbound and as he is breathing and as he moves his hands, you could have just imagined, uh, you know, what the people were thinking, right? The people around him were thinking. You can think about what Martha was thinking, what Mary was thinking. Uh, he probably, okay, uh, figured that he was a little... Uh, smelly, stenchy, and he was like, okay, maybe he went to take a shower to clean himself up, 
Maybe he took a little longer than a five-minute shower. I don't know. But he would come. And then what happens? There's a beautiful picture in John chapter 12. And uh, you can turn there if you'd like to. John chapter 12 and verse 1. There's a beautiful picture of the newness of life and being alive and what it meant to Lazarus. And in John chapter 12 and verse 1 we read, Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany when Lazarus, where Lazarus was, who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. So just to confirm the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ is in Bethany, is in the house of Mary and Martha and Lazarus, and this is the same Lazarus that God raised from the dead, that Jesus Christ raised him from the dead. The same Lazarus. In verse 2, what do we read there? There they made him a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was as one of those who sat at the table with him. Lazarus was experiencing Romans chapter 6 and verse 8. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. He did not walk around in grave clothes like a dead man walking. Uh, his grave clothes were taken away. Uh, death no longer meant anything to him because he was alive and risen to be in fellowship, to walk in newness of life to sit at the table with the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who had raised him up, and to fellowship with him. And that is what God expects for us today. As risen people, as ones that were not just dead in Christ Jesus, but also risen with Christ Jesus in his resurrection. He desires for us to fellowship with him in newness of life, walk with him. Uh, in, in Psalm chapter 16 and verse 11, we read, um, in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hands are pleasures evermore. And that is God's desire for us. In Philippians chapter 3 and verse 10, we read, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Um, his resurrection power. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 18, we read uh, that you may know what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the mighty power with which he raised Christ Jesus from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the throne of God. That same power is for us today. And the Lord Jesus Christ provides that enablement for us to sit with him and to feed from his table and from him. In Colossians chapter 3 and verse 1, we read, Then if you were raised with Christ, so now as risen people with Christ Jesus, seek those things that are above, where Christ is also seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Set your mind or set your affections on the things that are above and not on the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ. When Christ, who is our life, will appear, then you will also appear with him in glory. He desires for us to seek him, uh, to set our minds and affections on things that are heavenly versus earthly. With the newness of life, we experience his power to live a new life. With a new life uh, comes a new perspective and a new beginning and a new heavenly gaze on the Lord Jesus himself setting our minds on him. 
The newness of life enables for us to comprehend our security in Christ Jesus and the salvation that he has wrought for us, which no one can snatch from his hands, hidden in Christ Jesus. The newness of life enables for us to have eternal fellowship with him. Uh, I love this quote from an old writer, and I'll just read that quote. And this is how it goes. Then keep me not back from my rightful place. Make not the church an ex exalted, make not the church an exiled bride. Hold me not at the walls of partition which Christ has cast down. Stop me not at the gates which Christ has unlocked. Stay not my steps at the sea which he turns to crystal before me. Forbid me not to enter into the veil where the bridegroom has gone before me. Christ has died, so have I. Christ has risen, so have I. Christ has gone on high and has taken me with him. Believe it, exercise the boldness which he gives. Enter into the holiest of all. Take your rightful place. Heaven wants a triumphant bride now. Now that we have died, died to sin, and are alive, alive in Christ Jesus, the sixth and the final point is make no provision for sin. Going back to that first question, uh, can we continue in sin knowing what Christ has done for us? Knowing what has come of our sins, can we continue in sin? Make no provision for sin. Verse 11, we read, reckon yourselves dead. Verse 12, let not sin reign. Verse 13, do not present your members. Uh, and again, uh, but present your members to God as being alive from the dead. Uh, now, Paul doesn't say that, okay, now that you're alive, uh, you don't need these commands. You're automatically going to just go about and now. Uh, yes, God provides us the strength through His Spirit from above, but He provides us with these commands. Uh, do not let sin reign. It's an intentional thing with the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, he provides us instructions for our own good, just like how we provide instructions to our kids. They may desire to do things uh, that may not necessarily be wrong, but we may say no at times, and it is for their own good. And so it is with our Lord. He gives us instructions. He tells us to take heed. Do not let sin. Uh, do not present yourselves. And the word for instruments that are used there uh, in verse 14 or verse 13, instrument is the literal word for weapon. Although dead to sin and alive to God, we are in a constant warfare. And we need to recognize that. In Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12, we read, the, you know, the weapons of our, you know, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and powers of this world. Against Satan and his foes is what our battle is with. Our battle is a spiritual battle, just like we read in Galatians chapter 3. It's a spiritual battle. It's not against man, but it's against sin and against uh, Satan and his foes. An example of not presenting our, our instruments as instruments of righteous, unrighteous, uh, unrighteousness, but instruments of righteousness to God, 
An example in our day-to-day -day living, uh, I, we can take the example of the tongue, for example. James, James, in the book of James, we call, the tongue is called an unruly member of the body. Uh, and I'm assuming you all will agree with that. Uh, you hand over your tongue to sin, and it will talk angrily. It'll hurt loved ones. It will lie. It'll talk filthily. It'll curse unless your tongue is submitted to the will of the Father. On the other hand, uh, your tongue, uh, you know, uh, when you hand over your tongue to the Lord in full surrender, uh, your words can be seasoned with salt. Uh, you're able to talk words of grace. You're able to confess your sins one to another and to the Lord God of heaven. You're able to encourage one another. And that is what he means here by do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness, but present your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Uh, present yourselves as alive unto God and as being alive and as walking in newness of life. He gives the enablement for that. It is submitting ourselves unto the righteous one who will help. So our attitude towards sin has to be ruthless. We must make no provisions for it. We cannot be indifferent towards our sin. We need to deal with it one by one. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and verse 4 and 5, we read, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God, for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Every single thought and mind that goes against the will of God needs to be taken into captivity, and needs to be dealt with, needs to be brought to the Lord who forgives us, who helps us in times of need. So in verse 14, uh, Paul ends here by saying, sin has no, for, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Uh, sin no longer has dominion over us. Uh, the constitutional authority of the kingdom of our Lord is not law, but rather grace. And he gives us the enablement to walk. So just a few questions for us to ponder on. Uh, for those who have believed and those who have not believed uh, in the Lord Jesus, do you want to be free from the binding effects of sin? Do you want to have the righteousness of Christ credited to your account? And to be accepted and acquitted uh, and justified by God? Do you want to have the sanctifying power of Christ in your life to enable for you to overcome canceled sin? Do you want to be delivered in the end from the misery of death? If so, I pray that you do, for Christ Jesus is the answer. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved as his promise. If you have been a Christian for many years, uh, the way to victory over daily sin is to cherish our union with the Lord. Cherish our union with Christ Jesus daily. He died, I died. He rose again, I rose again. Love being united with him. Grow in your grasp 
of what it means to be united with him. Live in Christ Jesus. Savor his words. Think often of what it means, of what it means to be united with Christ, to be died to sin, to be alive evermore with him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your son, our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the cross. All my sins and shame have been taken away at the cross, at the cross. Father, we thank you for the union we have in Christ Jesus through his death. We thank you, Father God, that death could not hold him in the grave, but he is risen and seated at the right hand of the throne of God, and so are we. And Father, we thank you for providing for us that provision. Help us, Lord, to set our minds on things that are above, on heavenly things. Help us to have a changed and a renewed perspective in our walk. Help us, Lord, to know that it's not in our own strength that we can fight the battles, but rather you fight our battles. Strengthen us, weak vessels. You have provided us your spirit. Enable for us to submit ourselves into the hands of the mighty one who is able to take us through, for you have promised that you will take us through until that very last day. Father, help us, strengthen us. We thank you for your love for us. We pray all this in and through the name of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Mm -hmm.